0: Can have a seat. Uh, For those of you that are watching online, just a reminder that after the service, uh, we're going to have communion and we'd invite you to join us. So if you want to grab something uh, that bread and grape juice or something like that, uh, you'd be more than welcome to join with us as we'll kind of extend the broadcast past that. So um, this season, we have been dealing with the idea of what if there were no Christmas? We've had so many things that haven't canceled or postponed or put off and and altered this year that just kind of wanted to wrestle with this idea of what if there are no Christmas? And we talked about the idea, first of all, a couple of weeks ago, that if there's no Christmas, then there's no celebration. And we talked about the idea that celebration is central to the Christmas story. That centered in that Christmas story is the idea of angels and shepherds and wise men and Mary and Joseph, even John the Baptist worshipping and celebrating the fact that this child was born. And then last week we talked about the idea of the theme of lights, and the idea that you start with everything from the angels with the the, the glory, the the Shekinah glory behind them, to uh the, the light that Simon or Simeon talks about, uh, the light to the Gentiles to the idea of the three Magi, the the MM thing uh, that you'll never forget now. So uh, that idea of the wise men coming to worship and following that star. And so this morning I want to talk about one of the most obvious ones, but yet also one of the things that uh, I think sometimes we mess in this story. And you know, I've been at this a while. So I've 30, I don't know, 30 some odd years, 35 plus years of preaching the Christmas story. So consequently, there's not a lot anymore that it's like, oh, I've never seen that before uh, after after doing it for so long. But every year, it seems like God kind of impresses on my heart some aspect of the story. And this year, it's been this guy, Simeon. Um, I've been fascinated with him. And and every time I get ready to prepare the message, he comes up again and again. This morning, there he is. He he comes up uh, again in this passage. And I want to talk about this morning what what's obvious, but yet is sometimes easily missed. And that's this idea. If there's no Christmas, there's no Savior. And if there's no Savior, there's no salvation. And I think we miss that sometimes in this story. So listen to the words of uh, the story of Simeon. And I'll go into a whole bunch of background, but I want to read it first and then put together some pieces for you. It says, now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. That's what we know about him. Apparently, he was older. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what is required, what the custom of the law required." Simeon took him. So he takes Jesus in his arms, and here's what he says, and he prays God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. This is a nice way of saying, okay, I can die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for a sight in all nations, a light, we talked about this last week for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken again. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says this to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. In this story, you have Simeon basically talking literally about not just the birth of Jesus, but also the death of Jesus. Uh, Now, so let me put a bunch of stuff in background so that you kind of understand the context of this story and what was going on. Uh, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Uh, You know that story. He's in a manger. After about seven days, what would happen is they would take the child to the temple for dedication. Mary was not allowed technically to go into the temple area uh, after this, because for 40 days, she was unclean. So uh, she was not allowed to worship. But part of the purification meant that after seven days, they would go into the temple area. Um, <clears throat> what would happen is they would then make an offering to God because they had a, a healthy child. Uh, because they were poor, uh, their offering would have been uh, two pigeons and two turtle doves. And they were brought those in as an offering of thanksgiving to God. And then, because it was a male child, if, if you were from the tribe of Levi, then all of a sudden it was a different, the, the child was treated a little differently. Jesus was, er, was from the line of the tribe of Judah. So uh, not being a Levite, he would have had to have paid, the, uh, Mary and Joseph would have had to pay a, a shekel offering, a five shekel offering for Jesus. So they would have gone into the temple area to do that, and Jesus would have been circumcised. So they they go into the temple area after his birth to do the the typical custom of the law thing. So they would have made their offering. Um, They were going in to make their offering. They were going in to pay that five shekel thing. They were going in for circumcision. They were going in to do all of that stuff. And we're introduced to this guy by the name of Simeon, and here's what we know about him. He's a righteous man. He's older. Um, He's got to be somewhat near death, somewhat, um, as far as his age goes. But he really wanted to see the Messiah before he died. That was his prayer. That was his passion. For some reason, God had promised him that you'll get to do this. So uh, Simeon gets up a typical morning, and God lays it upon his heart to go to the temple area. So Simeon heads to the temple area. And again, this was a common thing for people to bring their newborn children for dedication and and all of this stuff. It was just part of the system. And when Mary and Joseph walk in there with Jesus, Simeon, with God impressing on his heart, recognizes this child right at the bat. All of a sudden, he knows this is Jesus. This is the one. And he takes the child in his arms, and it's basically a a six-line poem. Three sections of two lines. And in it, he makes a number of things. He, he, one of the things that he does is he, makes a pro, he talks about the promise. Uh, he talks about the idea that, that there's a prophecy, there's a, there's a blessing. And one of the things that he says here is, and that's the idea that I have seen the salvation now. And he was not looking at Jesus as a political savior because he understood the whole big picture, which is amazing. And so Simeon... Basically then, blesses this child, and, and, and he's ready to go now. And then, basically, he comes to Mary. And he says, Mary, you need to know the days ahead for you are going to be incredibly hard. It is literally going to rip the soul out of your chest. What's going to happen to this child is going to be one of the most difficult things you will ever face in your entire life. And Joseph and Mary, of course, you know, so again, I don't want to wreck your song, but I I like to be... Mary, did you know? Yes, she did. She knew more than she wanted to know. And so... In this story, in this scenario, what happens is then then they, they bless this, he blesses this child. And this child then, uh, they, they give him back to, apparently to Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph are just amazed. And then Anna comes in, the prophetess, and she has this thing. Maybe next year Anna will be the one that I want to focus on. But this morning, I, I really want to do with the Simeon thing and the, and the Christmas story and, and a couple of things that that I think are easy to miss if we don't if we don't zero in on it. And and here's a couple things, a couple things about Simeon, because I think it's a great, (laughs) I think it's a great lesson for us in 2020. Um, One of the things that I've noticed this year, and I see it over and over, people are just so scared to die. People are just terrified. And people are doing everything they can to hang on to life. And, and I understand that, I'm not minimizing it. I love my life here. I love my family here and I, but, but death doesn't terrify me. That is something that scares me. Um, I, I live very openly and honestly with the idea that I have today nothing else is guaranteed. I, do I have plans for tomorrow? Yes. Do I have plans for a, a vacation next summer? Yes. Next spring? Yes. Do I realize I may not make it? Yes. Do I realize that COVID could take my life? Yes, or a heart attack or a car accident or setting myself on fire welding something. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could take my... A great shirt I saw the other day. You know, yes, I know I'm I'm on fire. It's a picture of a welder. Yes, I know I'm on fire, um, but let me finish this weld first. Uh, And it's kind of like I showed my wife. I said, see, see, people get this. But anyway... Um, here's the idea. Everybody's so petrified of this idea of death. And here you have an older man who basically is saying, I'm ready to go. But I got one thing on my bucket list before I go. That's to see my Savior. And when Mary and Joseph walk into the temple area with this child, He checks it off his list, and he says, take me now. I'm I'm God. I'm good. Because, you see, he has this attitude about life and death that says, look, I'm ready to go. I have finished what God's called me to do. I've seen what God allowed me to see. I'm ready to leave. And I don't want to be flippant about this life or death thing, but you need to understand, when Jesus enters the picture, and when you have a relationship with him, and you've seen the Savior, and you understand all of that, then death is just simply a step from this world to the next. And you look at it and go, well, there's a lot of things that I'll miss. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of things you're missing right now that loved ones who've gone before us are experiencing. And and, and sometimes we miss that. We we forget that. You know, that old hymn, you know, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. There's a lot to be said about that. And we get really comfortable down here, and we like to hang on to this, because in all honesty, we think this is the best. It's not. And Simeon understood that. He, like I say, his only bucket list item left was, let me see the Savior. Now that I've seen him, I'm good. I'm ready to part. I've seen the salvation of the Lord. I've seen the Messiah. I'm good to go. What a great attitude. As long as God's got me here, I'm going to accomplish stuff for the kingdom of God. But when God's done with me and I'm ready to go, then I'm ready to go. That doesn't mean I'm foolish in the way that you live your life. But you don't live it in fear. But you don't live it petrified about dying. And that's one of the things that I think we forget. Is that in this Christmas story, you see someone whose attitude about life and death is very, very clear. I'm ready to go because I've seen the Savior. Um, I think in this story, one of the things that you notice in the whole Christmas story is you see all these people, kind of like what we talked about, Gene talked about in the children's room. It's this idea of worship. Um, The Magi come to worship, the shepherds come to worship, the angels sing his praises. You constantly see this idea of people focusing on Jesus. And here's the thing. That's what I think we forget. We forget that the Christmas story is about Jesus. The Christmas story is about how all of these people constantly interact with Jesus. From the time that that Jesus is in the womb, and Elizabeth and Mary meet, and John the Baptist starts flipping out, it's about an interaction with Jesus. From the angels who peel back heaven and sing all of God's praises, and they and 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 they say you got to go see this, and the shepherds drop everything and head to a manger. I mean, think about this for a minute. They left their job to go look at a baby. Really? It's a baby, you know. And I know some of you are baby people. You're like, <laughs> they're okay. I'm not a baby person. I'm a, I'm a, when you can talk to me, we got, we got it. You know, I mean, I, I like that interaction. Um, You know, I mean, babies are babies and that's fine. And there are people who are baby people. I'm not one of them. I'm, I, I, I love my grandchildren, but I want them to like move and talk and walk and do stuff like that. So I can, you know, tease them a little bit. Um, You know, that's, that's, uh, and, and, and you know, I, that's just me. That's just the way I'm wired. But they come to look at this baby. I'm worship because they recognize it's not just a baby. It's a Savior. And when they put this baby into Simeon's hand, Simeon goes, it's a, it's salvation. This is a Savior. And when the Magi come, who are these big, high you muck, muck People who have lots of money come and they go, We want to kneel down at the most. This child would have been two years old at the most. To kneel down at a, uh, at a, at a to worship a one year old, one and a half year old. Really? I mean, put that in perspective Alden's one year old, just turned one. Can't imagine myself going, Oh, I want to worship a one year old. that be a pretty special one-year-old. And yet they made this incredible journey in order to be able to do that. Why? Because it's more than just a baby. It's a savior. It's salvation offered to the world. And if you look at the Christmas story and all you see is a baby in a manger, you're missing it. And that's that's my challenge today. I want you to understand that if there's no Jesus, then there's no salvation, there's no Savior, and for all of us, there is no hope. Because the whole idea of this story is to focus on Jesus as a Savior, as salvation, and not just a baby in a manger. The problem with this story is this. Because Jesus came, it now adds a dark side to the story. Because the dark side of this story is this. Because there's a baby who's a Savior, it requires you to respond. It requires you to do something. You have to accept that Savior or reject that Savior. And there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. When we talk about this Christmas story this morning as you sit here or as you watch online, one of two things is true of you. You see a baby in a manger, or you see your Savior and your salvation. There are no other choices than those two. Because the whole point of Jesus coming to this earth, as Simeon points out, there's a dark side to this in that this baby is going to rip out your heart because this baby's going to a cross. And this baby is going to die a horrible, horrible, bloody, messy death in order to be the salvation that I just prayed about. And you're going to watch your son, your child, go through that, and there's nothing you can do because he's doing it voluntarily and willingly. And what it means for you and I, we have to decide whether or not it's just a baby or whether or not he's our Savior. And he said, I'm going to offer it as a gift to anybody that wants it. I'm going to make it as simple as I possibly can make it for you to be able to accept Christ as your Savior, as your salvation. Um, this week, we've been gathering gifts for uh, a project that we've had at the Gospel Mission. And uh, we're taking some single-parent families and, and trying to make that ha- allow them to have a really nice Christmas. So the, the room back there is full of all kinds of really nice gifts for the family. We'll be dropping off tomorrow. One of the families that I noticed when we started handing out the cards had a four-year-old. It was a a, a single parent with a four-year-old. And uh, immediately that just rang a bell with me because my granddaughter's five, and so we just got through the fours. And one of the things that we loved doing was we loved playing this card game called Hiss. And uh, it, it was a way to teach her colors, teach some logical skill thinking kind of stuff. And it was great because a four-year-old could play it as well as adults. It took me a while to catch on, but I got it. Uh, So so we we started playing this game. So the second I saw this, here's what I did. I went online. The second I saw it it as a four-year-old, I went online and I ordered the game. And that came this week, and so I wrapped it up. And so I'm going to give it to the family. And so here's what I did. Um, I I put a note. I got a note in here um, to the family. I said, look, the reason I'm giving you this gift is because for the last year and a half, I've been playing this with my five-year-old granddaughter four year, when she was four. And I said, we love this game. And I said, it's brought so much fun to us of being able to play. I, I, I had to get it so you and your son could play because I want you to be able to enjoy what we enjoy. So the letter explains it, and then in there is this gift all wrapped up in a sealed package. Okay, It's a gift that I'm giving to them. Here's a question. What are they going to do with it? You see... What's going to happen is he's going to open this note and it's going to tell them all about it. Then they're going to unwrap this package and then it's all sealed up. So can you imagine if this, this this parent later contacts me and says, hey, look, I just want to thank you for that gift. That was incredible. And I write them back and say, hey, do you and your kid enjoy playing it? And they went, well, we haven't opened it yet. See, what we did was, we took the wrapping paper off, and since it was all sealed up really nice, what we did is we took it and we set it on a shelf, and it sits on a shelf in our kitchen, and every day we get up and we look at it, and it's awesome. I say, Well, I, I, we go back and forth. And I say, Well, so you haven't played it? No, oh, no, 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 but thanks for the gift. Here's a question for you: Had they really received the gift? It's not theirs. They haven't played it. They haven't enjoyed it. They haven't participated in it. They just simply set it up on a shelf and said, thanks for the gift. You know what happens at Christmas? We set up these really cool little manger scenes like this. We put Jesus in the middle. We make everybody focus on Jesus. Well, we've never accepted the gift. Oh, he can tell you all about it. He can tell me all about how much my daughter, my granddaughter and I have played this, and she plays it with everybody else, and he could read the back of it to tell you all about the game, but he's never experienced it. He doesn't experience it until he takes it and makes it his own. Salvation is no different. If all you see when you talk about the Christmas story is this incredible story of Jesus and my baby and he grows up and he's a great teacher and he does all this really cool stuff and everything else, you've never accepted the gift. And unfortunately, if you reject this gift, and that person, even though they may appreciate it, has rejected the gift if they don't open it up and use it, then when you stand before God, And the choice is, do I let you into heaven with people who have accepted the gift? Or do I send you away to people who have rejected the gift? What choice does God have? Oh, you don't understand, Pastor. A loving God, he's going to let everybody. No, if he could do that, he would have never come. He came because it was the only way. And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the father but by me. You reject me, you reject the gift. You reject the gift, you rejected the Savior. He's just a baby in a manger. And that's what you have to understand in this Christmas story. It's not a baby in a manger. It's our Savior. It's our salvation. It's our hope. It's our faith and trust. It's about a relationship that we've received. You go, well, well, Pastor, you know, it's just really hard. I mean, with all the COVID stuff and everything else, it's hard for me to get to church. It's hard for me to go through all the... Listen, listen, listen. God made it so simple. You know what has to happen to this family this week? Here's what they have to do. Rip off all the paper, get a knife, cut it open, pull it out, and start playing the game. That's it. That's all they have to do. They don't have to write me a thank you letter. They don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. They don't have to reimburse me for the gift. They all they got to do is take it and make it their own. That's all they got to do. Jesus made it that simple. He made it so simple. A thief on a cross who could never go to church a day in his life could spend eternity with him by simply accepting his gift. Somebody said it's simple as ABCs. A, acknowledge that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. If you think you can earn your way to heaven, I'm going to tell you the standard. You have to be perfect. Now, I don't think I would have to look very hard to find somebody who could point out that you're not. If you're married, it's a slam dunk. You know, why? Because you have to acknowledge the fact that you need a Savior that you cannot pay, earn, do whatever you need to do in order to earn your salvation. B, believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Not church, not a bunch of hoops, not a bunch of stuff, but believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe. Believe means I'm going to put all, I'm all in. Believe that He is the only way. The only truth, the only life. The only way that you're going to get to God. The only way. And then seed confess. The Bible talks about confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. So for me, here's how it worked. I was a teenager, and I prayed a very simple prayer. I was not in a church at the time. Um, I was not, it was not a, a church service. It was not anything like that. It was a bunch of teenagers that got together, and we're, were getting ready for an event. And I prayed a very simple prayer. It went something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know that I need a Savior. And as best as I know how, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. I can't believe it's that simple. Why would God make it hard? Why? Why? You go, well, well, why didn't God just save everybody? Because you need to choose him. That's why. He's not going to make the choice for you. He's not going to force you into it. If you want to reject him the whole time you're on this earth, fine. Then you can reject him for eternity. But he had to, pay, he had to, he had to pave a way to pay for your sin and mine. And that meant he was going to a cross. A sinless, perfect man goes to the cross to pay for our sin. And his shed blood. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion. And it's the idea of his body which was broken, his blood which was shed. Because it's the only way that salvation could be offered to us. So as we come to the end of this time this morning, my question to you is very simple. Is he a baby in a manger? Or is he your savior and your salvation? Your choice. He offers you that gift. But to understand it, to know what's in it, to know all about it, and never make it your own, is to reject it. And it's my prayer, the prayer of all of us, that you know this. Because when you know this, you'll be like Simeon. Lord, I'm ready to go anytime. Got a couple of bucket list things I want to check off. And if I get the chance, I'm going to do it. And I firmly, you know me, I'm a big believer in bucket lists. Because as soon as I check off stuff, I add more. Because I want, I, I want to accomplish something for God. I, I want to live life like God intended to be lived. But you know what? If it ends today, I'm okay with that too. Because I happen to know, as much as I love my life here, as much as I love my family, as much as I love my church family, what waits for me is far better than anything you could ever offer me. Ever. And um, I got a lot of people that I'm looking forward to seeing again. The irony for me, the irony for me is I was able throughout time to be able to minister and tell them about stuff. And in heaven, I shall be the student and they shall be the teacher. Which I think would be kind of fun. Um, Because they'll go, you know what? You got that story all wrong. Uh, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to that time. The angel's message to the shepherd said this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You go and you'll find a baby in a manger, but he's a Savior first. So I end this morning with this. In the Christmas story, we see young and old, poor and rich, worship Jesus. The story is about Jesus, and he's the center of the story. His birth demands a response. And you will either see him as a baby or as your Savior. He came to die for you and save you from your sin. What you do with Jesus determines your destiny. Please, accept him as your Savior. Let's pray. Lord, For those of us who have put our faith and trust in you, for those of us that have a hope that this world doesn't understand, for those of us, Lord, that can go forward in this world and not live in fear of the minute that we take our last breath, Lord, I thank you for the confidence, for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, for those this morning that may not understand, or Lord, that may be hesitant to accept you, I pray, Lord, that they'd understand that, Lord, they are being offered a gift. And what they do with it determines their eternity. Lord, use us to be a light, to be a path to others who may not understand them. And, Lord, as we head into this Christmas season, as we celebrate your birth, we are so thankful that, Lord, you are our Savior. These things we ask in your precious name. Amen. Um, Let's stand together and we're going to sing. We're going to sing together. Let's stand as we sing. Sing, be seated. As we come to the end of our service, every week we end our service with communion. Um, hang on a second. Go to the candle one first, guys. Is there a candle thing there? The beginning of the communion deal? Huh? Oh, am I? Okay. Well, I guess we'll start there then, boys. I <laughs> thought I had another deal up there. Um, First of all, for those of you that are here in the building, uh, there's somewhere around you, there's a cup and a wafer in it. It's all one package little deals, probably on the communion holder in front of you. Um, I do find it helps to shake them up because they sit here for the week and get a little settled out. But there's a little uh, cellophane thing on the top. Pull that back first and then uh, you can pull back the foil. There's an interesting story in the life of Christ uh, that often we don't talk about, and it's this idea that um, bread has this running theme throughout Scripture. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Does anybody know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. And that, that's, that's the name behind the idea of Bethlehem. When Jesus starts his earth, earthly ministry, there's a passage in which he feeds the 5,000. And after that, he and the disciples are having a discussion. And here's the discussion. John chapter 6, here's what it says. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness. And we've talked about this with the children of Israel. And he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. It's like, okay, this is what happened with Israel. What are you going to do, Jesus? And uh, And then... Uh, notice what he says. Jesus said unto them, Truly I say unto you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. He said, okay, first of all, let's understand it wasn't Moses, it was God. Secondly, let's understand that God's going to give you true manna out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord... Give us this bread. Well, if there's a bread that takes care of all of our needs, that's what we want. Notice what Jesus said. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. It's what we just talked about. It's the idea that when Jesus becomes my Savior, there is a satisfaction that comes. Bread was a staple of their life in this day. Bread was something that they needed every single day to live It was something that they would consume on a regular basis. And so you see it with Israel in manna in the wilderness. You see it here with Jesus saying, look, I'm going to talk to you about a a bread that really satisfies, and that's me. And if you believe in me, what we just talked about, you put your faith and trust in me, guess what? I will do something and satisfy you, and I will give you life. And literally the idea is eternal life. The idea is an eternal life. We always think of eternal life as The life to come. Eternal life in the Bible has a concept of here and now as well as eternity. It's a different way to live. It's a different way to look at life here. And he said, that's what I'll give you. Now, when Jesus comes to the end of his life and his meeting with the disciples, um, Paul records what happened. And here's what he says. For I have received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And then later on, the passage goes on and talks about he does the same thing with the Jews. As we come to the end of the service, as we head into Christmas this week, we take this in remembrance. We take this as a way to say, I remember the fact that his body was broken for me that his blood was shed for me, and that he is not just a baby in a manger. He's my Savior. And this morning, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we encourage you, whether you're online, whether you're here, to join with us as we do it. A common union that we have in Christ is Jesus Christ as our Savior. You go, well, I don't know a lot about church stuff. I mean, I I just prayed and accepted Christ. Awesome. Then join with us. Well, don't I have to do a bunch of stuff? No. No. Jesus is your Savior. Join with us as we celebrate that together. So this morning as we take this wafer, this bread, whatever you have and we take that juice, we're reminded that Jesus is a gift that costs us nothing but cost him everything. And it's offered to us And if we, if you have accepted it, if you have embraced it, if you have made it your own, join with us as we celebrate and have in common the fact that Christ is our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. there's not one of us here that has lived our life in such a way this week that we're worthy to even be able to do this. Lord, we do this this morning because of what you did, not because of what we have, how we have lived. Lord, for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, Lord, we are so grateful for your willingness to come to the cross, that you loved us so much to offer this. And Lord, for those who have never accepted it, Lord, may today be the day that their life changes. Once again, thank you for being our Savior and our salvation. These things we ask in your name. Amen. thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. Merry Christmas. And I trust you have a good week celebrating the fact that we have a Savior. Lord bless you. Have a great week.